0: I say this every time. Technology doesn't work with me. I don't know why. So it's my fault. Uh, so uh, it is a happy Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. It's a great Sunday. Scott's not here. We have branches, you know, and then the sod in the back and everything. You guys got to check it out. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm like so excited about it. Personally, I'm a little, uh, a little biased. A little, you know. This is a very special time, right? It's Holy Week, right? And that's kind of a big deal at churches, but. Um, i I celebrate my work anniversary here, so like tomorrow uh, it, we debated about it. Ashley thinks it 's six years, I thought it was twenty years, but i don 't know um, you know it feels like forever uh, you know highs, lows across the board man it 's been awesome to be here i 'm so happy to be part of this church family i 'm just looking forward to where god 's going to take us, keep taking us well. Uh, Palm Sunday, we're talking about Palm Sunday this year. It's awesome. Last year we were uh, in the middle of a sermon series and we were talking about, should we stop, should we pause, and it kind of fit in, which was nice, but uh, this year we're actually talking about Palm Sunday, so if you want, you can open up your Bibles to John 12, John 12, uh, and if you're new here, you, you might not know this, but we don't do this like whole... Um, you know, jump in the middle of a book thing very much. You know, that's not a common thing we do at Rock Bubble Church, right? Uh, so I want to give you before we begin, before we start talking about specifically about Palm Sunday, I want to give you a little bit of context because it's important, right? It actually is important. John 12 is right after "Are you ready?" from the seminary student. Right after John 11, right? I know. Thank you. Uh, John 11, right? And John 11 and John 11, that's the whole Lazarus story, right? And maybe that like, might like send off some like, little ticks or whatever in your head. Lazarus, guy who died, dead, four days. Jesus comes, rises him back, right? If you don't remember, uh, his, his sisters, Mary and Martha, are just hanging out walking. They find Jesus, right? And they say, our brother has died. Right and, and Jesus, the the infamous verse, the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. Right, if you if you ever need to memorize a verse, there you go. Right, and, and he cries over it because of loss, because he cares about them. Obviously, because he cares about the family. It's 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 death. Right, it's sad. And uh, in the 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 in the in the Brent version of the Bible, this is how he goes. Right, he says, "Hey." do you know I could still raise Lazarus from the dead? And they said, yeah, totally. One day you're going to do it, right? One, It's going to be great. And he's like, no, 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 Do you understand I could save Lazarus? And they're like, yeah, like I, I feel terrible, but like if you were only here, I wish you were here a couple days ago. He died, right? Like he was sick and, and you, we've seen you heal. I wish you were here, right? And he's like, you don't get it. Okay, let's go, right? Let's go. And he's like, in a very Easter type of way, foreshadowing, he, he moves the, the tomb, right? The boulder from the tomb. And they're all like, it's going to smell bad. There's a dead body. I don't know if you know. And he's like, he's not dead. Move, right? Moves the boulder. He screams out, like, calls out to Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out, right? Miracle. First time, uh, wonder, amazing. Doesn't happen. You you got your brother back. Wow, amazing. Here's here's the problem. And those are big quotes, right? Uh big old quotes because we understand what's going on, but the problem is that uh there's there's these people called Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, right? And how dare Jesus say he's God and how dare Jesus perform this miracle, save this person? And guess what's happening? People are coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Oh, that's bad, right? And it's so bad, sarcasm, thank you, right? It's so bad that they say, hey, we're going to put out a warrant for Jesus' arrest. Right. So so if you see Jesus, we're gonna arrest them and and, and 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 nothing happens. right, they're just gonna arrest right. They're just gonna arrest nothing. We don't know yet, right? And that's kind of the backstory in the verse into chapter twelve, however, because we're gonna talk about it right now, why that's important. Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. I have to legally save the joke. I wrote, I I signed a contract that said if I ever do a sermon, and in the passage it says, therefore, I have to say, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, why is it therefore, right? And 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 that is because of the previous chapter. So they're saying, hey, do you remember? Lazarus dying. Do you remember all these things? Do you remember how he came back to life? And now do you remember that there's a warrant out for Jesus's arrest? So he's saying, hey, that's just happened where Lazarus was. So Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Why is this important? Well, they're looking for him. So he's hanging out with people that he trusts. He's hanging out with people, a small group of people who who are going to protect him, who he could spend time with. Right, this isn't this grand entrance here. We're not there yet. That's like in two verses. Relax, right? So, uh, verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one those uh, reclining with him at the table. You might be asking, why is Lazarus important? He had his time. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people said uh, Lazarus didn't actually come back to life, right? PTSD or or hallucinogenics or whatever happened, they think Lazarus came back to life, but really he was dead. Guess what? Days later... He's still around. <laughs> he's eating food. They don't, ghosts don't do that, right? Like they're hanging out. He's reclining at the table. He's doing all these normal things again. He's back. Right? So when you hear that, it's like, oh, yeah, he's still relevant. He's still around. It's not this like, oh, Jesus brought you back, and now you only get an hour and you gotta wrap up all your stuff, but then you're gonna go die again, right? No, this is a thing that actually continues to happen. Verse three: May uh Mary, though, therefore. Uh, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with his hair, with her hair, sorry. What is nard? Oh, wow! right? Two things you can do. Whenever, the pro tips of the Bible, right? Whenever you encounter a word that you don't know in the Bible, two things you can do. Get your phone out, type it in, look it up. We live in a wonderful day where you could discover whatever you want, right? Uh, you could just learn about it. You learn about how it's, it's precious and how it's pure and all that's great, how it's very expensive. Or you could be lazy and just learn what the Bible's trying to tell you, right? So we're going to learn about what's nard right here, right now, right? So Mary took a pound of expensive ointment. It's expensive. She's got a pound of it, so there's a lot... Made from pure nard. Pure. It's nice. There's impure nard, right? There's stuff that's not great, right? So she takes the best stuff, a lot of it, and it's expensive, right? And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. Costly. She's doing something weird. This isn't something that happens, folks. When's the last time you scrub someone's feet with your hair, right? Not something happens. Why would she do that? I don't know. Maybe we should keep reading. The house was filled with the fragrance of a perfume. So not only is this an expensive thing, not only is it ointment and it like fixes something, I'm not too sure, it influences the area around it. It says to everyone else, this has happened, right the whole house is filled with this is that a necessary amount to fix your hair if you're getting ready in the morning do you have do you put on enough perfume that the whole house can smell it I hope not. <laughs> right? I know some people do. If you ever go to summer camp, they will spray axe until the whole hotel can smell it, right? It's just that's just boys. They're like, but girls dig it, right? And it's like, no, no, right, right. No, this is excessive. This is more than that's necessary, right? This isn't a normal amount. This isn't something that she just, oh, here's a drop, right? This is a lot. And this is all without even knowing what Nard is. Right? If you're just doing that amount of work, right? Uh, the house was filled with fragrance and perfume. But, ooh, but Judas, ooh, man, if you know about Judas. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who uh, was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Factual statement, right? If you don't know what denarii is, um, uh, just a quick, like, here, here's what you should remember. Whenever you see denarii, one denarii is one day's worth of wages. So if you're sitting there and you're like, in the quick Bible math, you know, if they say 10 denarii, that's 10 days wages, right? Just puts it in perspective. So 300 denarii, if you do it out, right, you, you take off a day, uh, you know, one day a week, a couple extra that's a year's worth of money. It's a lot of money for anybody, right? Uh, so, so you understand that this is very important, right? Uh, Judas might have a point, but here's the important part. Here's what it says right there, right? Uh, uh, sorry, hold on. Verse 6, he said this, so devaluating already, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what, he, what, he, what was put into it. So the group, the disciples, all had one person with the money bag. And it's Judas. Think about that. All of the money that Jesus got goes to one dude. He cares for it. He takes care of it. All of the disciples. And it's Judas. Uh, Scott has, um, every once in a while, every other month, three months, something like that, he'll ask the question, like, you got questions for God, you know what I'm talking about? Where, like, you know you're not going to get an answer until heaven. You know, like, you, you just, you got to give it up because you don't know, you're not, you're never going to know, right? My question is, is, I was sitting here, I was like, when did John find out that Judas was stealing from him? Because this is kind of interesting to me. Like, was it at the beginning? You know, it was just like, hey, Judas is a sketchy guy. And we all know he's doing it, but he's working on it or whatever. And and this is just something he knew from all time. Was it something that after the fact, right? Like, he wrote this, right? Uh, Knowing this is after, he wrote this after Jesus died. So he knows Judas betrayed him. And guess what? He probably stole. Oh, yeah, he did steal. We found it out. Or the thing that I want to happen just because it's kind of like, funny, you know, for no other reason, is like, when he's writing the Bible, and God's inspiring him, and telling words, and saying all these things, at that moment, God's like, hey, also, he was stealing from you guys this whole time, and John didn't know until he's writing this, so why he's writing the scriptures, he's discovering this, and I'll, I'll never know, that's just one of my many questions for God, I just think it would be funny if he's just dictating what God tells him, and he's like, well, we did what? <laughs> this whole time. Wow. wow, You know, so um, verse seven, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. Once again, what's the problem here? Large crowd of people find out where Jesus is. The problem, when large groups of people find out where Jesus is, Pharisees find out where Jesus is, right? And, and, and I joke that that's a problem because it was all part of the plan, right? But his name's going to get out, his location's going to get out, and something's going to happen. He's going to get arrested, right? Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Think of the insanity that not only are you trying to shut this guy down named Jesus, not only are you trying to deny that it ever happened, you're trying to murder someone because of what happened to him, Because Jesus did something great in his life. Here's the issue. We do it all the time. Not to that extent, maybe, hopefully not, right? But we look at see, and see what Jesus is doing as negative all the time. I, I I part of me wants to be a Christian counselor, right? I I I have an interest in it. I love doing it. I'm not, right? I went to seminary so I have some classes, but I'm not like licensed, I'm not like any anything like that. But I I have a a real big respect for Christian counselors who can do it right. Right? It's it's an amazing job. It's a necessary job, and I would have a tough time doing it because I know in the back of my mind I get a little excited for people, right? When, when, when you have troubles, I'm, I'm here, right? Scott's here. Nicole, all the staff are here, right? We'll pray with you. we we'll work for anything, right? But, but here's, the, here's what happens, right? And this would never happen with adults, so don't worry about it, said sarcastically. But usually I, I meet with like students a lot because that's who I hang out with a lot of the times. And they tell me these issues that they're having, and I honestly feel sad with them. You know, they'll, they'll cry. They say these are my problems, and and I feel terrible because I want them to be happy and I want them to be successful. And they see all these things, and I'm like, man, that stinks. I'm really sorry. You're dealing with this. These are big problems, right? In the back of my head, I'm saying, man, what's God doing here? <laughs> And I get excited just a little bit, right? And, and at the time, it'd be totally inappropriate. When they're crying, I'm like, this is awesome, right? At the time, they're like in the worst place they've ever been. They're crying, mourning, like getting Old Testament here. They're wailing. They're like, they're, they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And the one person they've gone to is excited, right? That's a terrible thing to do. But, but in the back of my mind, I get excited. I can't help it because I know better. I see the bigger picture a lot of the times when you talk to someone and you're in the middle of it, you can't see the bigger picture. Let me give you an example of this, right? So uh, one of my favorite people on this planet is Ashley's grandmother, right? If you're a grandma, I like you. You're like my favorite person because you're probably going to make me cookies at some point. And it's like just great, you know what I mean? And you're just like a loving individual, right? And you've just been there. And you've done it. And somehow, after X amount of years, for you to still be a loving, caring person, is just remarkable to me. So, like, I just like you, right? And, and, and she's just a loving, caring individual. And I, and I wish there'd be a reason for, for you all to meet her. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen, but hopefully it does, right? Um, she is a leader in her church, and she, she lives in Arizona, right? She's leader of her church. And her church, is 65 plus. And when I say 65 plus, I mean like uh, the youth are 65 plus, right? You know what I mean? So, um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but like we should be constantly investing in new generations and growing and maturing and the gospels for everyone, right? So, uh, So they have this desire to have youth come. And then they're looking at new ways. How do we get kids here? How do we get youth here? How do we get more students here? What do we need to do? What do we need to change, right? And because that's kind of my background in a lot of ways, I talked to her about it. And they were presented with a very interesting um, opportunity, right? The church that they are at, um, and they're in zona Arizona, so they just have land, right? <laughs> like they just have land all over. It's not like California where you get this like, little box. Right there there's a church right on this side there's the road and on the other side of the road is was this park where there was basketball hoops and volleyball hoops and all this stuff and um just like in everywhere else the park gets torn down because they want to build apartments, right? And the park gets torn down. And the the problem is, is every day they would see these kids go and play basketball and and high schoolers go and play volleyball and do all this stuff. And it's great. And it's right next to the church. So they could kind of, now there's not that anymore. What's the opportunity? Hey, what if we build the basketball hoop and the volleyball hoop and did all that stuff? And it's it's exciting, and they say, man, this is going to be great, because all those families, they're just going to go, boop, right? And that's all they got to do. It's not like, hey, come 10 miles. It's just, hey, you're already here. Just walk across the street, and it's free, and it's open. You come whenever, right? And she's talking about it, and she's so excited. And and because I know that she's a mature individual, I sit there, and I say, here's the problem with youth coming. You're going to have youth coming. Right, and and and, uh, and and you you automatically know what I mean by that, right? Dirt smell loud, so loud, right? It's, sometimes it's great because you get a little drummer boy, right? But then then he's over there and it's loud and it's messy and they break things, right? I'm t- explaining this to her and I'm saying, listen, I know you and I know that you care and love these kids. I don't know anyone else in your church. I don't know your leadership. Here's what I know. Your job is to prepare them for that. And instead of hating the trash and the mess, see the opportunity. At any time, we can look at all the things that God's doing. At any point, any time in the history of Rock Bible, you can say, man, this is terrible. We have so many kids going on. We have all this youth stuff going on. We—they're meeting at nights. They broke a window. They did that not recently. This is, you know what I mean? Like, they, I'm not like slyly telling you that way. Hey, we need more money because you know, But like, yeah. So uh, like, you know, like uh, at any point you could say that, and you'd be right. They're smelly. They're gross. They mess things up. They break things. It's expensive, and they don't donate really anything to the church. Or, or, boom. We had a ton of kids come to know the Lord at, at camp. People who never went to church are now coming to church. Guess what? Guess why? Because this, this dumb church is saying, in the middle of quarantine, we're going to meet. We're going to try to do camp. We don't understand. We're going to have mass and do all this stuff. It's going to be really annoying, but guess what? We like kids. We really enjoy seeing what God's doing in their life. And instead of focusing on this and what it's going to cost and opportunity costs that we're losing because we're spending money on this, we could say, wow, holy cow. Kids that have never experienced the Lord came because we spent way too much money on snow. Because they had a great time, and now there's nerf darts everywhere. <laughs> I st- I don't know how. I still move chairs, and I'm like, "There's a nerf dart." It's been months. How does it still here? Right? So, but before all of us point figure- fingers and say, "Yeah, Judas, you're messed up. Why would you do that?" We do it all the time. We say things all the time like that. We try to discount what God, the amazing things that God is doing in our lives all the time. Instead of looking at illness, sickness, the big C, cancer, as as pure evil, as there's nothing wrong, there's nothing good. How can a good and and all-powerful God exist? How can he not exist? That we see him show up time and time again. And in the most deep, dark, evil things, God shows up in miraculous ways. And it's so easy to fall here because that's where everyone falls. How can God show up? How can God exist and 2020 happened. How can God exist and we're still doing and we're still fighting and this guy and this girl. and How can he not be here? We how is this building still here? How is our pastor too, still on two feet? Because God exists and God is good. Right? Let's keep going. We're going to Zoom. Don't worry. I don't care. You're bigger than you want to. So verse 12. Uh, yeah. Uh, verse 12. The next day, uh, the large crowd, remember, problem? Not really, but problem still. That had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem, very important place, that's all you got to know. So, they took branches of palm trees, Hmm, palm trees, Palm Sunday, okay, maybe, okay, and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel." Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, For not, uh, this is in, oh man, Zechariah, think nine, might be four, but whatever. Uh, for uh, not daughter of, uh, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, see, uh, sitting on a donkey's colt. Something written hundreds and hundreds of years before this, 500, 600, 500, 600 years before this is now happening. The king is coming and he's riding on a colt, uh, the donkey, right? His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. I, I, I'd like to say, you know what I mean? Like we, hindsight's 2020 and, and I don't think I've ever met a Christian who read the Bible. Who's like, yeah, I'm totally, I would totally be like the disciples. You know, they'd be like, I'd call it. I'd see Jesus. I'd follow him. No problem. I get you know what I mean? That's like so common. I did that for years. Guess what the problem with that is? We have people who've been living with Jesus for years now, not get it literally call his shot, literally say, hey, guess what? The king, do you remember when it was written, the king is going to be riding in on a donkey, and he rides in on a donkey, and they don't understand what's going on. I'm dumb. That's going to go right over my head too, right? And and, and as much as that I was saying before about, hey, see, see the potential and all that stuff, sometimes we don't get it until later on. The cost will not... Uh, will not make sense until years later, potentially. The things that you're doing will not probably make sense until way later on. You know, this Mexico trip that's so successful that everyone that everyone just sees is like, great. It's after decades, decades of work, of going, of investing. Why do we care about Sergio? Because we've seen him as a kid. And we know his heart, and that's not something that happens over a week, over a month, over a year, over decades of investment. Looking back and saying, wow, wow, did God show up, and I was blind to it, right? I was so invested, I was so blind, that I didn't see what God was doing, right? Uh, verse 17, the crowd Uh, that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to uh, one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship him at the feast, worship Greeks. Why is that important? Well, um, unless you celebrated Passover yesterday, you're a Greek, right? <laughs> right? The Orthodox Jews, they celebrated Passover yesterday. Guess what? It's not me, right? And in Bible terms, I'm a Greek. I'm outside of that right? People of God, God's people, right? The nation of Israel, the physical place. I, I was born in Walnut Creek, right? You know what I mean? Like that, that's not me, but guess what? Good news. The Bible isn't about a location. The Bible isn't about one people group. The Bible isn't about just one, how they're so great, how this place is amazing. It's about God and how God is for everybody, Right, the, the Bible isn't interested in China. The Bible isn't interested, really, in Israel. The Bible isn't interested in India or America or any of these places. The Bible is a story about Jesus and how he died for everyone. And that's why, most likely, everyone in this room is here. That this isn't a localized, isolated thing. It's for everybody. Right, Verse 21, So these came up to Philip. Uh, backtrack a little bit. We see again, the Pharisees saying, Hey, like, look at all the things he's doing. We can't stop him, right? All the things that we're trying aren't working. More and more people are coming to Jesus. Isn't this terrible? Once again, saying how bad coming to the Lord. It's, it's crazy, but it's happening again. Verse 21. So these things, so these came to Philip who was in Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. in this world, we'll keep it for eternal life, right? This is something that if you if you go to men's fraternity for years uh, during the like the first one, Scott Scott describes this the, the first year of you know the study. Uh, Scott describes this as a um, anti logical statement, right? If you love your life, you lose it. You hate your life, you gain right. It doesn't make sense. You think especially in today's world it's like hey you got to love yourself how do you love anybody you got to start with yourself how do you love people well you got to start with self-love that's what we're taught right and, and and he goes flip side of that if you hate yourself you, you can't what that doesn't make sense here's the key and here's what people miss so much of the time and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life in this world, right? How happy are, maybe happy, how like familiar, how accustomed, how comfortable are you in this life? Are you okay with what's going on? Are you okay with what society is saying about Christians? Are you okay with what politics are saying about Christians? Are you okay with everything that people are doing? It's tough. It's hard. Because I sit here as a pastor and I'm saying, man, don't do that. <laughs> Please. I've been down that road. I've been down that lifestyle. And it's not good. It doesn't. Li- you don't live a happy life. It causes so much strife with your wife or your husband. It causes so much pain with your kids and your family. I hate that. It's so bad. And and not going past that. It's the constant struggle. I just want to see Jesus. I want to have football and a big yard and a big table and food. I just want to get to there. You know, and I have bills and I have to do this and that. And I'm just. uh. It sounds like a downer. It's not. Why? Because if that's all that life is, there isn't much to it. If, if your life is all about, if there's nothing else besides paying bills, changing cat litter, and then dying, right? That doesn't sound great. <laughs> but as a Christian, we could say there's more. All of this stuff is just temporary. It's just momentary. Cancer doesn't go on forever. It's not just your life is over and then blackness, right? It's, it's not just this like momentary, It's a, it's a tar- it gives you a, a purpose, motivation. I shared, I don't know, I don't know. Sometime I preached, I don't know. So I've been here for 20 years. I can't be held for what I said, right? So like yeah, one of the times I was preaching, I was telling you about a marathon, right? Uh, running races, right? And, and, and if you don't know where you're going and you don't know how far is left, races are hard. You know what gets really easy is when you say there's the finish line right there, right? It's right there. I got to get to there and then I could fall over or I could just, uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm there. One final push and I'm done. What if that's life? That, you know what, I could, I could, I'm going to be able to put through a lot of stuff because guess what? There's an end point. And then life gets really good. Life gets perfect. Where I don't have to worry about all these trivial things. And more and more, big things become trivial. Because all I'm doing in heaven is worshiping God. God easy is that? I'm just focused on one thing. That's it. I'm purely contented on this one activity, worshiping God. That's the finish line. That gives you perspective on the rest of your life. That's how you can work extra. That's how you can have that hard conversation. That's how you can put up with all the things and take blame and be humble. It's saying there's more than This. Right? Uh verse for for anybody you talk to, anti-logical. For a Christian, I hope they get it. I hope, right? Very difficult to try to explain that to a non-believer. Don't try. <laughs> I've tried, it doesn't work, right? Verse 26: If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what should I shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He's literally saying, he, "I'm about to go to the cross. I, I'm not. This is hard. What should I say that I'm not going to do it? That God, God, take it away from me. But for this purpose for this purpose, I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name." Then a voice came from heaven, "I have glorified it, and I will glorify it." Again, what if you had that, what if we had that mentality? Not this, we we gave up on that, why me? We just never said that. And we said, God, glorify your name. Man, what does your life look like? What does my life, what does our church look like when we have a 100 people, 200 people all saying the same thing? That Lord glorify Your name, right? Uh, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it has th- it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, "The voice has come for your sake, not mine. May the Lord bless the reading of His word." Amen. Man, okay, we're landing in the plane. Don't worry. Uh, Palm Sunday. There's there's about a million types of sermons out there. I'm a big fan of perspectives, so I want to give you three perspectives today. And it's the the three that I picked out. If you want more, keep reading of this chapter. There's there's at least two more. You could probably get a third, but there's at least more two more. Um I but it's it's just the topics that brought these out in this this sermon, right? So, first perspective is on money. So, we think of money as benefit. God sees it as priority. The way this is presented, you might think benefit is bad. You might think that this is wrong, right? It's not wrong. It's incomplete, right? A lot of people just received a stimulus check that changed their life, right? They said, wow, this is great. I got out of debt. I used it on Burger King. Well, I don't know. Whatever. I don't care, right? Uh, that's, it's their money. Great, right? They looked at it as a, as a benefit, and absolutely it is, right? To say that money is wrong it's to say that God, the giver of money, is wrong, right? And that's wrong, right? So, so yes, absolutely, this is a benefit. But there's way more to it. Way more to it. God sees it as a priority. What, I've said this so many times. One of these times, I'm going to understand it. But hey, when you get money, what's the first thing you buy? This is an open-ended question, right? Bills, uh, I don't know, you know, like a down payment or uh, insurance or food or, you know, whatever it may be. Whatever your first fruits, Bible term, that first thing you buy, it says something about your priorities. We just see the money as money and now, wow, my life's going to change and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Yeah, That's true. But we have to understand, too, that it shows our priorities. That's how God sees it. And that's why he says, hey, give me the first fruits, right? verse uh, Number two, Uh, and that's why he said, hey, he's Judas, right? Verse six says, he said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He didn't care about anything. He just wanted the money. Right? He, he wanted to steal it for himself, and that was his priority. Right. Uh, secondly, so first, we think of money as benefit. God sees it as priority. We think of kingship as finite. God sees it as salvation. If you've ever sat into a Palm Sunday sermon, you've heard that the people here are worshiping Jesus because they think he is, is their king, their literal physical king that's going to save them from rome that's going to set them free right they have this idea of kingship in a very finite limited this world mindset we think of leadership as this world we think of leaders as this world we think of government as this world we think that that politicians got their spot because We voted for them, or a police officer went right. That's true, but there's a bigger picture going on. God says, "Hey, guess what? I put those leaders into a position for a reason. And even if you don't, you agree or disagree with it, I did it. I was in control. And yeah, you voted for them or you didn't vote. Guess it doesn't matter. I I put them there or her there." See, we got this idea that this life is everything. Even in the faith, we're stuck in this very limited box because that's what we can understand. And then God says salvation. And this box opens up to guess what? This is a soul. This person is not just—he's not just giving his life to Jesus so that he can have a better life now, he can have a better perspective now, that he can have a better uh, view of life now. This person's eternity has changed. It makes things messier, but easier. Giving money to stuff for this limited box, it's hard, right? But it's, it's, it's definite. It's, it's easy to understand. And hey, we got to do this. We got to give money to this because it's going to give us money in return. It's an investment, right? When it's open-ended and it's this infinite idea, I need to give money so that people can come to know the Lord over all generations, Because my impact on on Sergio goes way past our missions project, obviously. It it goes to not only his family, his family's family, his friends. He sees all the stuff that's happening, and it's bigger, and it's messy, and it's wonderful. Right? So, uh, number one, we think money as benefit. God sees it as priority. Two, we think of kingship as finite. God sees it as salvation. Number three, last one. The hardest one, dare I say? We think of death as loss. God sees it as legacy. We are mourning over Lazarus. We are mourning over Jesus. We we can't see past our little box. And this happened and it's hard. Right? If I can take you back the whole like piece of grain falling on the ground. It's sad. I had plans for that. That was a lot of work. And and, and I don't mean this like, uh, I'm not trying to belittle everyone, right? Because lo- death is, is serious. You know, like, I, losing family members is not easy. And, and it's hard. And we mourn. And as Christians... Funerals, as of late, in the past 10 years, have become more of a celebration. And it's weird. <laughs> if you're not a Christian and you go, why would you want to be happy? These dead! Why, it's you get, be, cry, be sad. How dare we? Oh wait. There's more than this box. Oh, wait, this person is going, (laughs) sorry, (coughs) this person is going past just this box, just past this world. He's leaving all this pain. It's more, right? Like I, I lost, um, uh, there was an elderly person years back and, um, and I, I spoke a little bit at the funeral and I said, look, he's a wonderful guy. He did so much. He was in so much pain. The, the past six months, he's t- so many meds, these pills are gigantic. He's in heaven, folks. We should be happy <laughs> right like he, he doesn't have to deal with this anymore. He doesn't have to worry about this anymore. He's just worshiping Jesus. let's join him right now. It, it's, instead of crying and uh, let's just let's just join him. He, he's up there. Let's do what he's doing. And that changes everything. Death isn't sad anymore; it's a celebration. And 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 this idea of legacy goes way past your life. Obviously, what did that person do that influences their kids, their grandkids, their great 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 grandkids? Even though they didn't ever met them, their great 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 grandkids. I don't know the influence that my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother had on my life, I guarantee she changed my life crazily. Because of legacy. And we don't see that, and it changes everything. So when we deal with money, don't just think of it as, as benefit. Think of it as priority. When we deal with kingship, governance, right? Leadership, anything like that. Don't think of it as just finite. Think of it as salvation. When we think of death, and that's the that's tough one, folks. Don't just think of loss because, yeah, they died. Yeah, it's loss, but it's not complete. Think of it as legacy. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you came and gave us perspective. We thank you for Holy Week. We thank you for all the things that, that happened during this day, Father, And we pray that we can keep this perspective, not just in this day, not in just this week, not just next Sunday, but really just throughout the rest of our lives, God, and pass it on to others. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen.